Blog Talk Radio. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the host and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Who is January Jones? She is not a young, beautiful, talented actress on Mad Men. She is not an older, gorgeous, exotic dancer from the Johnny Carson Show. She is an author, and she wrote, Thou Shall Not Wine, the 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. She is a reality TV golf personality with World High Stakes Golf televised on HDNet. She is a humorist and winologist expert. She is your featured host today on January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh and listen to Ms. Jones with her eclectic roster of guests as you learn life's lessons. These stories plus sharing equals success. Welcome and remember, beware. Because you are entering the no-whining world of January Jones. Hello, I'm January Jones, and welcome to our podcast. Now, for my listeners, let me ask you a question. Would you like to learn more about what it's like to be an author and an inspirational speaker during a pandemic. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be a teacher working with teenagers? Yeah, that's got to be pretty difficult, I would think. (laughs) Have you ever wished you could meet someone who has actually worked and written about teenagers and their families? Now would you like to learn some success tips from someone who has walked the walk and now he is going to talk the talk with us. Are you ready to make some big changes in your life and learn some helpful lessons along the way? If you can answer yes or maybe to any of these questions, then you are in the right place. And I would like to welcome you to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So now it's time to sit back and go get some glass of wine, get some cheese and crackers, and relax as you join us in the no wine zone. Now let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. He is a dear friend, and he has been on my show many times before. He is a best-selling, award-winning author, speaker, and educator. He is a TV host, a two-time junior Olympian wrestler himself, and a two-time junior Olympian wrestling coach, as well as a veteran of the Army and of the Air Force. He's a parenting expert, certified life coach, international columnist, and the achievement he is the proudest of. He is a father of five. Welcome to our show today, Daniel Blanchard. Hi, Daniel. 
Hey, January. It's good to see you again. I'm happy to be on your show again. We always have so much fun together. I know, and I've been looking forward to this show. Actually, this is the first time I've been able to actually see you, so it's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, visual adds a whole new dimension to uh, mm-hmm. the show, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and so before we begin, let me ask you, first of all, what? how did the pandemic affect you? Uh, how did it affect your career? Uh, how did it uh, affect your family? Could you share a little bit about your own pandemic experience? Wow, January, we could use a whole show for just that. But uh, going through it quick, quickly, I'm going to try to go through it quickly. Uh, I think with my family, starting with my family, um, I don't think it affected my family that much. My kids are in a pretty good school system. My wife is, um, has been, already been a stay-home at mom. So when, when my kids stayed home, you know, they were on the computers, and they were pretty, pretty good about getting on the computer. My wife was there. She was not doing their homework for them or their classwork for them, but she was there to make sure that they got on the computer, and they got on the computer every day. And my kids actually, I think, did well. You know, I can't say that that's the same for most kids around the country. You know what I'm saying? Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of kids around the country did not do well. Uh, I feel like I was very, very fortunate that I had some, you know, motivated children, some uh, very successful children in the classroom. Uh, you know, my, my wife was there. Uh, for part of it, I was there because I was teaching over the computer at home. I was teaching virtual for a while. And we went home, uh, I think it was, you know, not, not this year, but the 18 months prior to this school year, we went home in April, and um, they told me for the last, like, three months of school, whatever it was, that you bring a Chromebook home, you are now an online virtual teacher. It's like, I had to learn a whole new thing, you know, to be a virtual online teacher. That was all new to me. But um, it was wonderful that I didn't have to drive the hour to go to work every day and yeah. the hour to come home. So that was nice. And I got to see my kids every day, and my kids were sitting with me at the table. They were doing their work while I was doing my work. That was kind of nice. Yeah. You know I mean? Sometimes they went to their rooms if they needed more privacy or they were going to be talking and they needed silence, mm-hmm. uh, no background silence. They went to the rooms. So my kids were highly motivated, already very successful in the classroom, came from a very stable uh, home. So uh, for my kids, it, it was easy. Sadly, I can't say that it was easy for most kids mm-hmm. in this country. They didn't have the benefits. Um, of having, uh, you know, coming from such a stable home and having already so much success in school that they just, they were self-motivated. This just got on. They knew what to do, and they just did it. You know, uh, from the stories I heard, January, is that the kids that were home, yeah. uh, they were having a very difficult time. Their, their mother or father or somebody was having a very difficult time trying to do their work because they had to be, you know, pretty much involved in the kids' work mm-hmm. uh, most of the day. And that was really, really hard on parents. Yeah. to be kind of involved in your kid's work while you're trying to do your work. I was talking to a woman who told me she made a million-dollar counting mistake at work because she was distracted by her daughter's work. Oh, no. it was, and then later on it came back, and her work was like, hey, you put the one in the wrong column. <laughs> she was trying to pull out her hair. She was crying. And I was like, it's okay. It's going to be all right. So, oh, um, that's how my job went. And my kids, now when it comes, and then the following year, I was back in school, which was last school year. I was back in school doing the hour drive every day to work, and I was trying to do the virtual learning and the in-class learning at the same time. Uh-huh. 
that they kept calling it like asynchronous or something. That was tough. That was tough. And and I had to do things that I wouldn't normally do. And I had I was like a little less engaged with the students uh, that were in front of me in the classroom because I I had to like do it so that the online kids could yeah. learn. So even though I was in the classroom in front of the kids, it was not the best way to teach uh, my students. Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't a whole lot of interaction, and I was doing things I didn't want to do because, like I said, I had to do these lessons that were for the kids in front of me and the kids in the computer that were oh. at home that didn't come into school, you know, because, um, you know, a, a variety of reasons why they didn't come into school. Uh, so that was really, really difficult, um, extremely difficult. And there I was, you know, as a frontline essential worker. Uh -huh. now, let me ask you a question. Now, to do this, did each one of your children have their own private computer? Yes. Uh, yes. And the schools, the schools were great. You know, the schools provided Chromebooks for uh -huh. all the students uh, in my district. The the, uh, the the schools for not only all the students but all the staff. So uh -huh. I got to take that Chromebook home and uh -huh. use that Chromebook at home, which was great, because my laptop at home, me and my wife share, and it's kind of older. You know, so I would have had some trouble sharing it with my wife and having an older device. So, yeah, the, the schools did great. I mean, uh, government money came in, grant money came in. It made it possible for schools to get Chromebooks, uh, you know, which are economical. They're, like, a lot cheaper than the, uh, than the traditional laptops. Yeah. Uh, but the Chromebooks, I mean, the district spent a lot of money. Doing that. Oh, your dog's excited about it. <laughs> Daniel, I think Ginger is upset because she wasn't on the show in the opening today. Let me yeah, that's up. Up. yeah, go ahead. Let me just put her away here. <laughs> and the funny thing is, as you're putting away January, I mean, this has become the world of virtual uh, learning, virtual sharing, and virtual communication and virtual shows. I mean, this is just how it goes now. You know, yeah. dogs bark, kids come in the room. You know, I put the kids up on my lap sometimes. Uh, it's a whole nother world now, and it's okay. You yeah. know, because it's okay. I mean, we're humans. We have families, and it's okay. As your as your as your uh, as your uh, listeners and watchers, audience can see. Like I'm not even home right now. I'm with my. I'm at the beach. My wife is uh, at the park, right up the hill from the beach. So this is like the new reality of virtual learning and virtual sharing and everything else. So well, I talked to you a little bit about the school. Would you like me to talk to you a little bit about my life as an author and speaker during the pandemic? Well, we're going to do that when we come back. Uh, that would be good. Okay, so why don't we do that? Right now, we're going to take a break and hear about my book. Lately, there's a whining epidemic in our world. People are even whining about whining. Are you sick and tired of listening to everyone whining all the time? So was January Jones, the author of Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th commandment that reached number one at Amazon.com. Ms. Jones based her book on a survey of the top 10 things that people whine about at all ages and all stages of life. January is a success coach that can tell you how to help others. When you buy Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th commandment, you'll find out what people whine about and how to stop them from whining. This is the perfect gift book to give or get for any occasion. 
Thou Shall Not Wine was voted the best gift to be given anonymously for those special people in your life. Ms. Jones is an internationally known author in the style of Irma Bombeck, specializing in housewife humor with her book being published in Korea and China. You can find Thou Shall Not Wine at Amazon.com. Welcome back with my guest, Daniel Blanchard. And Daniel, I'm going to ask you to share a little bit of your contact information with our listeners. Tell them how they can find you and how they can get all of your books. If you could do that, please. We seem to have lost his transmission. What I want to tell you about is his book. He wrote an incredible book. It's called The Storm. And it's the latest book that's out. And he has written all total seven books. And it's part of the Granddaddy's Secret series that uh, he has promoted. And he has done such a great job on it. Uh, Let me read a little bit of some of the reviews from his book, The Storm. One of the reviews was from Sean Covey. Uh, author of the international best-selling book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. Now, these book, this book is, is geared for teenagers. And also, it's the kind of book that uh, mostly um, boy teenagers, but also uh, this is a very good book for girls to read, too, it's, you know, and for parents. Definitely, it's a must-read for parents. Sean says, at times, going through a refiner's fire is necessary to shape you into the best you can become. This book shows you how. Now, <laughs> now, now then, between Ginger and me ad-libbing, this is going to be a... You're doing a great job, January. <laughs> this is a new territory for me. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is the virtual life now. It's yeah, crazy, welcome. but it is what it is. This is a good way to get my feet wet. Um, could you share your information, uh, your contact information, and how people can get all of your seven books and your website? Absolutely. Uh, people can find me on granddaddysecrets.com. They can also find me on uh, danblanchard.net. If they Google Dan Blanchard or Google Granddaddy Secrets, they're going to find me everywhere. I'm all over the social media channels. I'm on Amazon. Uh, people will have no trouble finding me January. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, you know, I'm going to cut to a commercial right now. We'll be right back. Let me ask you a question. Are you still wondering who killed Kennedy? Over 50 years later, the assassination is still a mystery. It is unfinished business for our country. Now, get ready for a theory that you've never heard before but will make more sense than any other conspiracy theory that you've ever heard in the past. January Jones speaks the unspeakable in her book, Jackie, Ari, and Jack, The Tragic Love Triangle, connecting Jackie and Aristotle Onassis romantically prior to JFK's assassination. Did you know that Ari was Jackie's guest in the White House during the JFK funeral? He was the only non-family member who was invited by Jackie to stay there during the funeral. Aristotle Onassis was one of the wealthiest men in the world, with the means, the motive, and the money to order an assassination that was the perfect crime of the last century. Ari needed class, and Jackie needed cash. They were perfect for each other. Now, what is Camelot? 
It is but another tragic love triangle. Jackie, Ari, and Jack is available at JanuaryJones.com, Amazon.com, and Audiobooks.com, read by Ms. Jones. Welcome back (laughs) to everyone. And sadly, uh, Ginger has departed the podcast. She might make an appearance at the very end. We'll see how that goes. I'm interviewing Daniel Blanchard, and he is the author of a new book called The Storm that we're going to be talking about today. Daniel, um, let me ask you, have you always wanted to be an author? Have you always wanted to write? Oh, dear. I don't think we have Daniel. (laughs) This is quite an experience. I now know what (laughs) my daughters have been talking about. They were home, two of my daughters were homeschooling their kids. And uh, when they finally were able to stop homeschooling on their computers, and send their kids back to regular school time. Oh my gosh, they were so relieved. And uh, homeschooling was a big challenge. You know, Daniel talked about it and he made it sound like a very easy thing to do. Well, that's because his wife was at home with the five kids all the time and he is a professional teacher. So he could make that adjustment probably more easily than most of us working on this new medium. Um, I think Zoom and Internet, uh, FaceTime has changed everyone's lives. And that's one of the things that's come out of this pandemic. Um, And I think it's a good thing. I think everyone is slowly adjusting to it. And it's so nice to be able to reach out and see people. I've known Daniel for probably close to 10 years now, and he's been on my show many, many times. But this is the first time that I've gotten to see him, and uh, I'm hoping (laughs) that he'll be back with us soon. You can hear me. I'm here. (laughs) It's crazy. I don't know. It seemed like the the Internet signal was strong and good, (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, it just seems to be dropping. Okay, well, yeah. now that I've got you back, let's go really fast and get this set yeah. interview done. Now, my question, before you came back, my question was, have you always wanted to be an author? Have you always wanted to write? No, no way. I was terrible at it. I was scared of it. I was terrible at it. I got to tell you, I mean, I was not a good student, not a good communicator, really not good at anything. I mean, eventually I became good at sports. But that was it. You know, I was like, I don't want to say that dumb jock, but I certainly wasn't that smart jock. You know, so uh, the whole the whole writing thing scared the heck out of me. The only reason I did it was because my students, for like 10 years, my students bothered me, not bothered me, hounded me. No, I don't know if that's the right word either. But they kept asking me to write a book so I could tell other kids the type of things I told tell them. So I was like, ah, maybe they're seeing something I'm not seeing. Maybe I should put my trust in them and just write a book. And I got to tell you, I was scared because I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm a terrible writer. Uh, but I, I finally broke down and said, let me just try it. Uh, it'll be, if anything, it'll make me somehow a little smarter or something, right? So I just tried it. And then I had no idea, January, 
that that book would actually get published. I didn't oh, think in a million years that that <laughs> book would get published. And, and it did. And then once that got published, I went, wow, holy cow, I can do this. And I just wrote the next book and the next and the next. And now I'm around 30 books or so. Oh, my um, writing. Oh, yeah. I'm writing five books right now all at the same time. And oh, my working on student, student workbooks for them, working on classes for books I already have out. Um, it's amazing the doors that have opened because I, I, I listened to my students. <laughs> that, that page. No Good, good practice to do. And of course, your books are all, I was saying earlier to our listeners, your books are geared towards teenagers, mostly boy teenagers. However, I, I've read your book and I've shared it with other people. I also want to say it's very uh, essential book for parents to read. And also girls, girls can get a lot from it too. Don't you agree? I totally agree. I have had so many mothers contact me saying that they read the book to their young child. You know, maybe it's right before bed or whatever. You know, they're just reading the book with their child. And mm-hmm. so many mothers have contacted me saying that I thought this book was for my little boy and or teen boy or whatever. But uh, they were like, this book is for me, too. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm a mom. So they, they tell me all the time, this book is for everybody. You know, I've had grandparents. A lot of grandparents have picked up the book for their grandchildren, but read it first and contacted me and said, this book is for grandparents. This yeah. book is for anybody that wants to, like, try to become a little inspired and have a few tools. And, and there are two kids from, uh, you know, from, the, from reading the book to try to make a better life for them and the ones they love. Uh, it's a great book for everyone. And I'm going to make sure that my uh, 10-year-old grandson will have access and my daughter can read it to him because even at 10, there's so much that they can get from your book. How did you uh, decide on the title and the subtitle? I I grew up in a uh, very rough home, you know, very rough home. My father, I think he he had some real issues that he was dealing with. Uh, and I think he was self-medicating heavily with alcohol. So he was like one of those old, uh, you know, those Marines, those hard-hitting, hard-drinking, hard-hitting Marines. So me and my brother grew up under terrible circumstances. And as an inner-city school teacher and coach, a lot of my students were living under terrible circumstances. It seemed like my life, their lives were always, like, stormy. Right? So it's the, the title of the book, The Storm, just mm. seemed natural to come up with the storm. And if you read the book, you see there's a storm taking place, you know, a physical storm taking place. And then, of course, there's a storm inside the boy that's Mm -hmm. taking place at the same time. So the storm title just kind of came to me. It just made a lot of sense. And the whole, the subtitle on uh, how young men become good men, you know, like that's what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to grow up not to be like my father. I wanted to grow up to be a good man. And many of my students and my athletes, either they didn't have a father, so it would be, you know, a father that didn't have a father just stuck around, so, or they did have they had a, part, a terrible uh, role model as a father, many of them. So many of them were probably in the same boat as me. You know, they wanted to maybe grow up to become, you know, a good man, uh, someone that their family can count on, you know, someone that their kids and that their wife will love, you know, not just try to get away from or despise. So I wanted to be a good man, and I saw that the men out there, there was, they, they were dropping the ball. And the children, the young boys out there, 
they were growing up to to be these men that we don't want them to be. You know what I'm saying? Or that they don't want to be. So I figured I needed to put something out there to help these young boys grow into good young men so they don't repeat the cycle. I mean, I didn't. You know, so they don't repeat the cycle. And then their, their sons and, uh, and daughters, but their sons can have a better chance of living in a loving, caring home, you know, and being in a place, uh, the kind of home and being in the kind of family that they should be in, you know, not these dysfunctional, violent homes that we see too often. And I, I know a little bit about your past. And, and like you, I also came from a dysfunctional home, alcoholic. Uh, father that we all had to deal with and grow up with and it's not an easy thing and this book is so terrific to give to any child young person or adult that are dealing with alcoholic parents or spouses or partners because Daniel you have such an insight and I know a lot of this uh is about you that comes from you it's like when i'm reading dakota i'm hearing you is that an accurate feeling <laughs> um, you know it's, it's funny the book is a uh, a made-up fictional story uh -huh. um you know and i say that it's like based on me and and all the students and athletes i ever had you know something came from every one of them okay. is what i say but there's been people um who i grew up with that were close to me that have read the book and they said dan it is so obvious. <laughs> this is you. This is you. It's so obvious. You know? And I'm like, well, yeah, it's, you know, you're right about what you know. I just can't make stuff up that I don't know. So I, make, yeah. you know, I, I write about what I know, which is me and all my students and athletes. You know, I feel that we're all round, wound up into that. But it, it, bottom line, yeah, it's kind of me. Yeah, I think a little bit. <laughs> and and what's, what's incredible about it is you're so good at sharing your experiences. And these are the same experiences that so many young people are going through. And they probably don't have the ability to express it. And uh, this is why your book is a roadmap to helping them become good men. Um, in chapter four, you talk about the pain of regret. Could you talk a little bit more about that? What do you regret? Yeah, I'm going to jump on that one second, if you don't mind me backtracking a little bit. You know, with the, with the boys I work with, the inner city boys, many of them just don't have the vocabulary. You know, they're not like readers, uh, so they don't have the vocabulary. And when you don't have the vocabulary and you're feeling something, a very intense emotion, and you don't have the words, to capture your feelings, what you do is you lash out. You know, sometimes it's with your fist. You lash out because you don't have the vocabulary. So mm -hmm. I, I try to promote reading to all the boys and girls out there. And the girls are better at it than the boys. So I promote it more to the boys. You've got to get that vocabulary. Uh, if you read my book, you know, some of your feelings will be expressed in words. And it will allow you to express your feelings in words better so you don't have to use your fist and lash out. You know, um, and, 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 and that's some of the regrets. I mean, I did many times when I was a young boy, lashed out with my fist. You know, I was a street fighter, and wrestling saved me. Wrestling put me on the mat, and I, and I learned how to be a champion wrestler and stop being arrested, you know, <laughs> street fighting and all that stuff. So what some of my regrets are that I did beat up some kids instead of I didn't have the words. I wish I did. I wish yeah. I could go back and use the words. Why not? Yeah. So 
when I talk about the pain of regret, I'm talking about some of that stuff, but I'm also talking about how many times we don't do things because we're afraid that we're going to look stupid. We're afraid people are going to make fun of us. Or for some reason, you know, we don't think the world has given us permission to do what we want to do. But listen, when we're like 80 years old and we're sitting on that front porch and we're rocking in the rocking chair, I call it the rocking chair test. We are going to regret the things that we did not do rather than the few times we look stupid, you know, because we tried something new and we look stupid. That's all part of the learning curve. I mean, there were so many times I look stupid and I just kind of build upon that looking a little less stupid next time. And pretty soon after a while, I'm proficient. And whatever I'm doing, and people are like, how the hell did you do that? Well, it's because I look stupid a few times trying it. But that's yeah. the regret. You know, the, I have a lot of regrets. But that's the regret that I'm kind of trying to push forward to your audience, January, is mm-hmm. that the rock and chair test. You're going to be more upset and you're going to regret more of the things that you did not do because you were waiting for the world's permission. You were too afraid to look stupid. You thought somebody was going to say something negative to you, so you didn't do it. You know, there's a lot of regrets. You know, that regret weighs like a million pounds, yeah. that regret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, um, I'm so pleased that your message comes across so strongly. And like you, I came from a dysfunctional home. And like you, I use sports as my exit point. I was on all the teams. And it just, you know, being on the team, you get the friendship of your teammates, plus you get the wisdom and the advice and help. You get the encouragement from wonderful coaches, because anyone who's out there working with kids has got to be wonderful, because, you know, they're all volunteers. They're doing it for free, and it's such a positive uh, thing for young men and women to be in sports. Don't you agree? I so agree. I mean, you learn teamwork. You mm-hmm. learn taking turns. You learn communicating. You know, you learn how to build friendships, relationships. You know what I'm saying? Um, you learn that where your weaknesses are, and you get to learn where, where your teammates' weaknesses are, and you help compensate for those weaknesses when you're playing as a team so your team can win, so the team can come with, you know, have a better outcome. And this is what you're going to do, you know, on the job post. This is what you're going to do the rest of your life. And I like to tell my young people, I say, hey, you know what? When high school's over and you're done, co- uh, done playing sports, the chances of you playing sports in college is a lot less. You know, but what you can do, you can go volunteer starting college or right after college. You can volunteer to become a volunteer coach and build all sorts of additional skills. That's something that you love doing. Give back. Give back. It's something you love doing. If you love playing basketball, football, baseball, wrestling, whatever it is, give back. I mean, I still have people. You know, I'm in my 50s now. I still have people coming to me saying, hey, can you come down to one of our wrestling practices and teach the kids for a day? You know, I'm like, yeah, that would be great. So I still do that stuff. Um, I say to young people, play sports. If it's not sports, then jump on the drama team, the theater team, some club. High schools have numerous clubs. And when you're done with that stuff, find a way to give back by volunteering to be a coach or a mentor. You're not going to believe how much you're going to grow as a person by doing that. Absolutely. Um, Many years ago, we did a whole show on the marshmallow test. And I'll tell you, it's one of the highest rated shows that I've ever done. 
in reruns. It always gets good numbers whenever we replay it. So share with my listeners a little bit about the marshmallow test. <laughs> oh, that's so cool, January. The funny thing is, um, Friday I was my last day of teaching school for, until summer break. And Friday, a teacher came up to me and said, hey, what is this marshmallow test I hear about? Somebody told me you mentioned something about a marshmallow test in your book. And I'm like, yeah, I did. So uh, I had a great time explaining it through the marshmallow test, which I will share with your audience right now. So back some years ago, uh, a bunch of adults, scientists, um, philosophers, leaders, leaders of different fields, you know, they got together and they said, we want to know if there's a way that we can identify uh, young children who are going to have a successful life and will grow up to be like the future leaders, uh, successful, you know, adults, parents, uh, workers, you know, whatever. And, you know, they, they, they racked their brain forever trying to come up with something. And then one day, one of them just said, let's just give them the marshmallow test. And people were like, what the heck is that? You know, so they explained it. And they said, no, 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 that's got to be way too simple. That is just too simple to work. And they said, well, what do we got to lose? Let's just try it, right? So, I mean, all the other things they've been trying to was very sophisticated. And then came this simple, simple marshmallow test. They put a group of kids, young kids, you know, they might have been like 10 years old or whatever, put them in a room and said, here's the deal. Um, you're in here. There's stuff you can play with, things you can do. Uh, there's also like some marshmallows in here. Feel free. Take a marshmallow if you want. The adults got to leave. We'll be back, you know, whatever, 10, 15, 20 minutes later. We'll be back. Um, uh, have a marshmallow. Feel free. Eat it all you want. Uh, here's the thing, though. Um, if you don't touch the marshmallow and you can wait till we get back, we'll give you two marshmallows. All right? And, they, and the adults, all the adults left the room. You know, 20 <laughs> minutes later, whatever it was, they came back. And they looked and they noticed that about 75% of the kids in there ate the marshmallows. Okay. Uh, they're, they're kids. They're kids. They wanted the marshmallow. Right? Yeah. So what they did was 20, the other 25%, they gave those kids the second marshmallow. And those kids were, like, grateful. And they're like, thank you for the two marshmallows. You know, they basically waited, used delayed gratification, for a bigger prize later. They turned down the smaller prize now for a bigger prize later. Okay. And then they followed that group of kids. They followed them for 20 years. <gasps> wow. To see how they did. And in 20 years, by every single measurement indicator of success, mm -hmm. indicator of happiness, too, mm -hmm. that they used, they found out that that 25% that waited for the bigger prize, the two marshmallows later, were happier and more successful in every single indicator they measured. Wow. It was mind-blowing. Yeah. Mind-blowing. Wow. More successful work, more successful as a husband, more successful as the, uh, you know, the, the breadwinner, more successful as a father, more successful as a friend, you know, happier on every single indicator. Uh, it just blew their mind. Yeah. And they were like, who would have thought that something so simple as a marshmallow test would show <laughs> what success and happiness would bring over the next 20 years for these people. And if you think about it, now that let's say like 30, what are they going to be in 20 more years when they're in their 50s and they're really hitting their stride? Yeah, wow. Well, wow. you know, for my listeners, you can easily go on the Internet and just type in January Jones, Daniel Blanchard, and the name of the show we did was Don't Eat the Marshmallow. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's, it's a it's a fun show, and it'll give you more about more marshmallow information. Right. Well, I gotta tell you, Jen, I gotta tell you, January. I was cooking s'mores with my kids the other day out in the backyard, <laughs> little fire pit. And I do it a couple times. I just grabbed a few marshmallows and popped them in my mouth. I just ate them. I'm like, these guys are good. I wonder why the kids couldn't wait. Yeah, you're you're not obviously in the 25%. <laughs> no one ever gave me. No one ever gave me the marshmallow test. I don't know how I would have done, but those marshmallows, those marshmallows are good. <laughs> right now, we're going to hear about my books, Priceless Personalities. And Daniel is featured as a priceless personality. And uh, <laughs> I was happy to have his interview in my book. Have you ever met someone who was unforgettable? Someone who has touched your heart and soul? People who have faced difficult problems? People who have struggled to find solutions? People who fearlessly shared their stories? People who have not only informed you, but inspired you? People who have priceless personalities? I have been fortunate to host an internet radio talk show called January Jones Sharing Success Stories, and it has been my privilege to interview hundreds of guests. My guests have shared their stories, their struggles, their secrets, and their successes in their own words. In this book, we're talking about people dealing with problems such as incest, molestation, runaway kids, child abuse, drug abuse, polygamy, unemployment, scandal, and starting over. Then there are my guests dealing with difficult physical struggles such as blindness, cancer, and birth defects that are beyond traumatic. My guests have all been exciting, eclectic, and energizing. They have amazed, amused, and even astonished me. I have adored getting to meet them, and I adore sharing them with you. Attention all listeners, Priceless Personalities, Success Stories Shared by January Jones, Volume 2 is now available at Amazon.com in paperback and Kindle editions. You'll be able to meet 10 amazing people who will be sharing their own personal stories with all their struggles, successes, and solutions sprinkled with lots of humor and hope. Priceless Personalities features a teenager who becomes one of the famous Supremes from Motown, a nurse who has a humorist helps people to heal, an inspiring laughter yoga instructor, a mother dealing with the loss of a child, an incredible motivational speaker, a woman who married five times, a gifted paranormal nurse, a wise economist, a funny female humorist, along with an older man sharing his sweet childhood in the deep south. January's guests are all amazing and amusing. You will never forget meeting them. Go to Amazon.com for your own priceless experience. Welcome back with my fabulous guest, Daniel Blanchard, who is, in fact, a true priceless personality, and I'm happy to share him with all of you today. As we come to a close, Daniel, I have a question I ask all of my guests, and this question is that if you were able to choose anyone in the world, living or dead, to have dinner with, besides me, who would you choose? So anybody in the world to what? Have dinner with them. Oh, oh have dinner with. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm crazy about Teddy Roosevelt. Oh. You know, I'm the man in the arena. Um, yeah. I'm crazy about Teddy Roosevelt. He grew up as a sickly, weak child. They didn't think he was going to live. And he, like, willed himself 
he willed himself into hell through like running and horseback riding and all sorts of things. And, uh, you know, then he studied, studied his butt off to the point where he was able to get into Harvard University. Uh, he went through so, so many hardships. And I think that he was one of our greatest presidents. And, and, he, and he fought for the common person. Uh, you know, he took on the Monopolies. He took on the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers and all those guys. Uh, and, 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 and he fought for the common. He did so many good things. I know not everybody loves him. Some people call him a warmonger and all that. Um, but I just think he did so much more good than bad. And I think that he came, yes, he came from a family, you know, a wealthy, successful family, but he was sickly, very sickly. They didn't think he was going to live. You know, he was so weak and sickly, and he made himself into a strong person that fought, fought, strongly fought for others. And I, I admire that. I admire that. Well, you know who else I admire? I admire uh, Roosevelt Teddy, too. But I admire you because my listeners need to know that you are a compulsive person about education, not just teaching it. I'm talking about learning. You actually have seven degrees. So how do you find, how did you find the time to do all that school plus raise five children and have a successful marriage? <laughs> What's your secret, dear? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, uh, January, I have a lot of drive. I got, people call me tireless, fearless, all that. And I yeah. have such a drive in me to make the world a better place because I know how I grew up. And it wasn't right, you know, and it wasn't fair to me and my siblings and my mom. So I have this drive into me to make the world a better place for, for, you know, for the family that I have now and for everybody who I come in contact with. So one of the things, that drive, that drive got me up at four in the morning for over a decade, seven days a week. Like I never took a day off. I never slept in. And I was up at four in the morning doing reading, researching, writing, you know, and doing everything I could to, uh, to write the, like the, the 30 books I've written in the last 10 years. You know, the endless columns and blogs and do, uh, you know, like do these shows and, and, and do my homework. You know, do my homework for college. So I was able to get those. Uh, you know, 14 years of college and earn those seven degrees. Yeah. Um, why I did that. And so for me, I, I, don't, I guess I just don't need the sleep that most people need. And I tell people, listen, if you just get up one hour earlier, uh, you'd be surprised what you can accomplish in a year, two uh, years, three years, a decade down the road for just getting up one hour earlier. Now, I don't suggest that people deprive themselves of sleep and sleep four hours a night or anything like that because eventually their health. Yeah. We'll, we'll give out. But if you get up 30 minutes earlier, one hour earlier, and just do the things that you need to do to sleep better at night so that you get the higher quality sleep at night when you do sleep, mm-hmm. you know what I'm one hour a day changes your world to two years down the road. Well, that's a great secret because, you know, you're talking about uh, people say, well, I would do this or that, but I don't have the time. But you're actually showing them how to find 365 extra hours that they didn't factor into their project. And, uh, you know, getting up that one hour isn't going to kill you. And it's going to really put you ahead of the game. And I want you, when you're doing that, I want you to remember where you got that advice from. You got it from Daniel Blanchard visiting with January Jones sharing success stories.
And I'm going to throw one more thing in January. That one hour morning, the beautiful thing about that is that your family's still sleeping. You're not losing. You're not losing any family time. It's like you're not skipping their games. You're yeah. not skipping their school recitals. You're not losing any family time when you do that. So it's a win-win. Yeah. Total win-win. Absolutely. And thank you, Daniel, for such a fun interview. And thank you for welcoming me into this media situation <laughs> between between you and my dog, Ginger. This was the most exciting, challenging show I've ever done. <laughs> but you know, I think that's just the way it goes now. So yeah. It's just like relax, relax, and just go with the flow. You know? Okay. <laughs> And to our dear listeners, we hope you've enjoyed our time together today with Daniel. I know I've enjoyed it. I always enjoy him. My upcoming guests will all be eclectic, exciting, and energizing, just like Daniel. Next Tuesday, I'll be sharing another success story with Willie and Sharon McFadden, and they have a fantastic story to tell. Be sure to sign on to my website, JanuaryJones.com, and Daniel's website is listed below in the comment section. My 78-year-old thought for the day is about diets. I'm on two diets. I wasn't getting enough food on one, so I did two. And then I put my scale in the bathroom corner, and that's where that little wire will stay until it apologizes to me. <laughs> so for now, thank you for entering the no wine zone, and please share our stories and our show with everyone you know. And remember, stop whining, start smiling, and if that doesn't work, then you can start eating chocolate, lots and lots of chocolate. And in the meantime, thank you to Daniel again, and take care and stay safe until we all meet again, hopefully next Tuesday at 2 p.m. We want to thank you for listening to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. Always remember Ms. Jones' personal mantra, if you can think it, you can do it. That's what all of our guests have done with their lives, and so can you. You are the ultimate success coach in your own life. All you need to do will be to start sharing your own story with your family and friends. We hope that our guest stories will encourage you to explore an equation in your future that will combine your creativity, plus connecting with others will enable you to be successful too. Always remember, your passion plus your purpose will equal prosperity as you explore the wonderful world of January Jones.